0: Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to hardcore punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. All right, welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. As always, you can find us on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. There you will find all social media links as well as all of our digital our, our digital information for d- downloads and stuff like that. Uh, today we have a pretty special guest. We got Scott Vogel. Uh, he's been in a lot of bands, uh, Despair, Buried Alive, Terror, just to name a few. Uh, so without further ado, uh, how's everything going, Scott?
1: Uh, pretty good, pretty good. I mean, living in a very uncertain and insane time, but besides that, good for the most part. Thanks for having me. I've been enjoying your podcast.
0: Well, I definitely appreciate hearing that. And and yeah, it's crazy. I've been like the last couple of interviews I've done. It's like, damn, man. Like when I first started this, it was kind of just like one of those things where it was a way just to kind of like kill the boredom of the, the, the quarantine that we were all in and shit like that. And just kind of reconnecting with old friends, you know, and then all of a sudden, like all this other shit starts happening, too. And so it's it's like who knows what the, the second half of this year is going to bring, you know um but i guess we'll kind of go like on a timeline for this interview so we'll get to that shit in a little while um but i guess the first thing i kind of want to ask you about is like your upbringing and kind of what brought you into hardcore and stuff like that uh so everything underground
1: counterculture whatever you call it uh would go directly to my brother jay and i know uh I believe maybe Ruben mentioned that he was going to that you should get him on the podcast. So I hit him up and um, he said that you two maybe talk. So I think he's going to be on here, which would be cool because um, um, anything that got me in underground music is directly linked to him. And also uh, to get one thing out of the way immediately Most like interviews, podcasts I do when I talk about some of my old bands, I can kind of just say what I think because my memory is so bad. But on something like this, I feel like a lot of people from the area that maybe remember better than me, like including my brother, will have a better memory. So anything I say is definitely the best I can remember. But my memory is fucking terrible. So... Things related to me and him, he might have a better grasp on.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And, and Jay's come up, obviously, a lot, as I'm sure you've noticed on these interviews. Um, you know, Mike Jeffers and Ruben and a bunch of other people have, have talked about it. And, yet, yeah, we're definitely going to get him out here in August. Him and I were talking about it last weekend. So that should be c- pretty cool. Um, but I guess speaking of Jay, um, you guys were in Slugfest together. So uh, what, what are we, like some of your better memories from that experience?
1: You want to go directly to Slugfest? Um I'll say just, just leading up to that, um, Slugfest would be the first hardcore band we did together. I would say before that, we did several, uh, how do you, maybe punkier, even garage rock. I don't even know what you call it. Just like young kids that don't really know what's going on exactly. Just, you know, we lived in the suburbs of Buffalo and... Um, Just, I was playing drums and all these things. Slugfest was the first band I sang in or screamed in or whatever you want to call it. Um, So we did, we we had a band called Lost Cause. We had a band called the No Names. And like, uh, just, you know, we played like parties or like backyard shit or a battle of the bands. I don't know if those bands ever played a show, like a real show, like in a club or anything like that. But who knows? But yeah, so slugfest started with um me and my brother going to the the river rock cafe uh as much as humanly possible um we would get there any way we could um and go to any show you know right you know now well now actually it's kind of crazy like living in la there's so many fucking shows sometimes shows will happen that I I hear about after and I'm like how did I not hear about that but this was a different different type of how did I not hear about that we were just young and there was no internet there was all there was was flyers and word of mouth so you know when we heard about a show and we could get there we would do it and we were at the River Rock so much I believe um, the uh, the the owner's son John Raddis, who did like the sound and for he was you know he was the guy in charge of the the place and i think we asked him if he knew anyone that wanted to start a band or i don't i'm not sure if we asked him if he wanted to start a band but one way or another he said he'd play drums in our band and me and my brother are like i don't know 15 i don't know 16 14 i don't know and he's like a man so that's the uh that's the beginning of slugfest right there
0: yeah you know, I think Slugfest a little bit before, before my time, because I kind of got into hardcore, like, 96, 97 mainly. And, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of catch you guys' reunion show. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing things were a lot different than like, the late, 80, 80, late 80s, early 90s. Um, so I guess we can kind of talk about that, too. Like, what are some of the major differences you saw back then as opposed to, like, now?
1: Well, to, quick... Uh there's a lot of similarities too. There's definitely huge differences, but similarities, you know, it's all about the energy uh, live bands that, that really bring it and go off and, and shit like that still really captures me and, and pulls me in. Uh, there's still like an underground network of kids that set up shows and do zines and do labels. And like the, you know, the foundation is all there and it's, it's uh, you know, for the, for the most part, What my opinion, what hardcore was built on is very much the same, but you got to think it's, it's what 30 years later and so much technology has come along. So, you know, it's just a a different world. It's in a lot of ways, it's so much easier to, you know, be exposed. Uh, Even just the word hardcore now, you know, you could talk about a band like stick to your guns and say that's a hardcore band or, talk about a, a band that has a demo in Japan and say that that's hardcore. There's the the word itself has been, you know, stretched in so many different directions, but, um, something that I've always kind of held true to is like, I don't think a hardcore band to me isn't a sound like just because you sound like agnostic front to me, that doesn't make you a hardcore band. What makes you a hardcore band to me is you're, made up of people that support the scene and live with a mindset of maybe going against the grain and questioning and, and having that mindset. So to me, when people would think it was crazy that I said title fight was a hardcore band, cause they sound kind of like poppy. I'm like, there are a bunch of kids that go to shows, set up shows, do labels, do, do everything hardcore kids do. But play like a lighter side of music. So to me, it's just, I mean, some people could debate that, but to me, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's not a sound, it's a mind state. Um, but, I, you know, obviously on the different side, there's so many things. It's so easy to tour now. You got your phone. Everyone in hardcore now knows everyone. I remember like when Slugfest played in Detroit for the first time. We roll in there, it's, it's Slugfest, Chokehold, Earth Crisis. All these people from Chicago are there. It's maybe more dirty looks than than friendly. And now, like, I, I go to a fest now, and everyone knows each other. Everyone hangs out with each other. It's just regional things, like regional sounds. Like, you know, there's definitely a Buffalo sound and a Syracuse sound. And those things are kind of gone now because everyone hears everything at once. So it's maybe just a, a mashup of every sound or whatever sound you want to go for. You know um so i think it's still at its roots the same but so much different
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and that's one thing that's kind of come up on quite a bit in these interviews um i don't i honestly don't really usually ask that question about what's different but you know with someone like you who has been in so many bands over the years it kind of makes sense um like one thing that's like obviously different is like spotify and stuff like that and people can just kind of You know learn the roots of hardcore within a day if that pretty much and like whereas when we were coming up i mean i know you're obviously a little bit older than me but like you know when we were coming up like pre-internet it was like you had to kind of like read the thanks list or like read a fanzine you know or go to a show even to kind of learn all this stuff and now you can kind of like learn the roots of hardcore without even going to a show really you know um
1: i know exactly what you're saying but can you really can you learn what hardcore is on the internet you can maybe learn some facts about hardcore but I don't think you're going to really learn what it is until you are in that dirty van for 12 hours, drive into some city for $50 to pay to, to play to 10 people some music that most your average person would say, that's just terrible screaming. Like, sure. You can learn the facts and and learn the dance moves online, watching a video, but you're not going to learn what it is off the internet. Um, some, something else I just thought of like, I think another thing that's really obviously different is a band now or a person now, like uh, a person now can sit in their bedroom for 24 hours and open their door and have a demo done, recorded, written, and put it out. So I think, um, I don't want to say there's too much music now, but it's just like really easy now to put out music. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because there's a lot of people that need to get stuff out. A lot of people like different forms of music and different styles of hardcore, but there's just so much music now. And most people are in like five bands and it's really hard to keep up with everything that that does come out these days.
0: Right, definitely. And I think it might not come up a ton in this interview, but I know you and I are obviously both like pretty into hip hop music. And that's another thing that's like become ridiculously easy to do, like, with the, all the, you know, software you have on your computer now and all these, like, rappers just come out like like a mixtape, like, immediately, you know, whereas back in the day, it, it wasn't really like that, you know, and it's, I think that market's definitely oversaturated at this point, you know. Uh,
1: I'm a huge hip-hop fan, but it's far and few in between stuff that comes out now or even in the last, I don't know, 10, 5, 10 years that I get, uh, you know, really really hit by and and grasp onto there's stuff out that i love now but a lot a lot i just don't even pay attention to it just doesn't do anything for me which is kind of sad maybe it's me too being an old jaded i want mid-90s like new york underground hip-hop but uh i don't know a lot of stuff just doesn't do it for me
0: no i can totally understand that and obviously like i said we won't go too far into the weeds with the hip-hop, because I don't know how many people listening to this really care as much about that, but, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. There's, you know, obviously, you and I were talking before about, like, the Griselda movement and shit like that, and there's a few other, like, groups and and acts and shit that are good, but, like, it's definitely not the same as it was back then. Um, But I guess kind of getting back on topic with the timeline, was there there any other anything else interesting you think that happened with Slugfest or anything like that, or did you want to move on to the next band at that point? Oh,
1: I think that the band deserves a little bit more than me talking about how we started um first time i was ever had a band on vinyl um chris from chokehold put out our seven inch uh i don't think we ever toured we did little like road trips up to hamilton and and um Roche- i want to say we probably played rochester syracuse erie uh, may detroit like i said and it was really, you know, the first hardcore band I was ever in. The first time I was on stage and people sang along. Um, met a lot of people through that through that time that I'm still friends with. And it was the first time just really figuring out, I don't know, you know, for, for lack of better terms, how to write a song, how to put lyrics to a song. Uh a lot of firsts and and um you know there's i don't want to say a lot of people out there but i still definitely there's a small little cult following i don't know if that's the right term and um yeah i, I actually listened back to the seven inch and it came out really good i i i think the seven inch recording is better than we were as a band and um yeah it was cool and i, I was in the band with my brother and you know the 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 band ended with uh snapcase quote unquote stealing tim from us which made me bitter for a while but i you know at this point i can totally see his side of it but at the time i was kind of bummed and it it, it is kind of a shame i think at our peak tim left for uh snapcase and i would have i still am a little bit curious of what would happen if we could have given it another year or two or or maybe one more seven inch. I don't know if we could have pulled off a really good full length. That that's pretty hard to do, especially back then. But, um, yeah, really good memories for the most part.
0: So, and did you guys basically just, just disband after he joined Snapcase? Like there wasn't even like a thought of like trying any other drummers out or there there just wasn't anybody at the time that could like fill the gap at that point?
1: My best guess is, uh, he told uh actually john salemi from Snapcase told me uh and i was probably such a hothead mad and just said fuck it and that was the end of it that's my best guess i don't really remember though
0: yeah that that makes sense um and and there's one band that i'm i'm not familiar with at all that kind of came up in my research for this interview and if you don't have any memories that's fine but there was a band called center block that you you sang for for a little while too
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think timeline. This was probably during Slugfest Mm, before Fade Away is my best guess. Um, Cinderblock was Tim again, the drummer of Snapcase singing with uh, Tom Hardwick, also singing in the original incarnation of the band. And uh, those two were both the vocalists and uh the bass player no joke was in it uh phil who was in lots of bands like against a hope was in it uh carl was the other guitarist who i'm not sure what other bands he in but was in but he was a great guitarist and a very cool person and dennis who from no joke and earth crisis was on drums and they were doing something semi quick sandy um uh, not to give them too much credit, but because Quicksand's so amazing and, and so melodic and so great at what they do. But I, I speaking for the band when they started, which I wasn't in, I, I think that was kind of the direction of something uh, uh, quicksandy. And eventually Tom, I'm not sure if he quit the band or left the band or he was out of the band and I got brought into the band and there is a four song demo recorded somewhere uh i'm very scared to hear it because it's me trying to actually sing a little bit at the time which um i probably was terrible at but the music i I would say the music was really good tim could maybe kind of sing and i probably couldn't sing at all But it was definitely a different style and and, and really cool music. And played a couple shows. I would say my best guess is the band total with me and without me played like 10 shows. And um, there was an Earth Crisis show that me and Joe Luca put on that ended up being at some like bar, the only show that ever happened, if I remember correctly. At some bar that we found, because I think it was supposed to be at a different venue that shut down last minute, and it was Shelter, Earth Crisis, and Resurrection, and Cinderblock played. And there's a photo of me and Tim singing on that, and that ended up being the uh, cover f- cassette photo of a Living Fanzine cassette comp. So that's a lot. That
0: That's everything I got on Cinderella. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more than I expected, honestly. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, the only thing I can really add to it is I'm not even sure if you're on the tracks, but I did find, like, like one track on YouTube. And and, and like you were saying, like, I was like, damn, that's like a, a real melodic style. Like, I wasn't even sure if it was a band you were in or anything. And then, you know, it, it said your name and everything. And then I, I found, like, an interview you had done before where you talk about it a little bit. So I was like, well, I guess I guess he must have been in the band then. Um <laughs> So you were kind of mentioning playing drums for Fade Away um that's another band I'm not really super familiar with I know like people like Jim Callahan like cite that as a band they're really into and and you joined that band like when they were already established in. Uh
1: yes yeah, so, kind of similar to Cinderblock uh Fade Away I think started a little bit after Despair I want to I want to say maybe not um they put out a demo or two without me um, Phil who I just talked about playing guitar played drums in the original I, and I want to just stop right here everything i saying everything I'm saying I hope is true and if it isn't it's because I can't remember because I have such a bad memory so uh, I think Phil played drums on both first two demos and it's really really good um, fast it's got a Buffalo metallic edge, but, uh, not, not metal. It's just really good hardcore. And they, they were a really good band. And, um, Rob Madel, the singer, he was a really good front man. And, uh, you know, like all these bands I'm bringing up, I, I just got this thought in my head, like goes back to what I was saying about title fight. These are just all people that we would be at every show together, supporting each other's bands. um, And if we weren't, we were hanging out together and making zines together and going to Denny's and drinking coffee together. And it was just a really cool time. Like all these people were just, you know, young and still in high school for the most part and just really loving the scene and and trying to do bands that were, you know, I'm I'm sure there was a little bit of competition, but it didn't feel totally competitive to me. Like when, when Slugfest was going, like discontent were our, 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 boys and, I wanted them to win. I wanted them to have great shows. I was going on the dance floor to, to give them all I could d- during their sets. And, you know, the same thing with Fade Away. When they started, I was like probably one of their biggest fans or supporters or, or whatever. And uh, Joe Garlop, who was in Despair with me, who was in Envy, who was in Now and World Be Free with me. Um, he was on guitar. Frank, who later went on to Snapcase. Was on guitar, uh, Steve Mack, who was a good friend of Rob, was on bass, and uh, Phil was on drums, and they were just a great band. And um, previous to this, I had played drums a little bit and against All Hope, me, me and my brother, um, at one point. Uh, I don't know who was in the band before us. I can't remember, but they needed a bass player and, uh, a drummer and got me and my brother. And I, I'm not very good of a drummer. I never, I never was back on these uh, like bands I talked about in the beginning and, and against all hope and fade away. But I guess I could get the job done and I was pretty enthusiastic and, um,
0: would give it my
1: all and had the energy and hopefully didn't fuck the songs up too bad. But, um, yeah, so I, I want to say they, you know, Phil left. They asked me to be in the band or I asked them to be in the band one way or another. And uh, we did, the first thing we did when I was in the band was a split seven inch with a band from uh, Canada. I want to say Toronto two line filler who are like really this, like really poppy, kind of like an against all hope. Um, and then the four song, five song song, CD EP on Conquer the World, which was the last band put out. And uh, yeah, I I can't remember. I I don't think I had much say in the band, or I mean, I'm somewhat of a a hothead control freaks, but I I don't think I ever got in enough to break the band up. But I, I, you know, I can't say why the band broke up. I can't remember. You have to ask one of those dudes. They probably have a better memory.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, that's cool. That's still. A pretty good amount of information and that's and i think Two Line filler played here in like 96 or 97 i mean my my timeline gets a little mixed up at times too because obviously it was a little while ago um but that kind of goes back to what you're saying about like bands like of different styles kind of all being under the hardcore umbrella you know because like those kind of bands, like you said were a little more melodic but like i think i honestly i think i want to say this show was like n kindle and two-line filler like in a basement here but i, but I could be off on that um but I guess you had kind of started talking about despair a little bit too. And and that was pretty much the first band of yours that I, that I saw like while you're an active band, And I I saw you guys a few times, obviously, Um, you know, and I think that kind of like established you a little bit more as like a vocalist and like you, you did more tours and stuff. So like, how did that band all come together? Like with your memory? Uh,
1: I would say slugfest broke up. There was a lot of bands, you know, like, um, red line was a band from, uh, lockport that two members of despair were in joe was in no i don't know if envy was before or, or envy was during despair i don't know if they started before but um basically it kind of goes back to what i was just saying it was just a bunch of us that you know hung out and uh went to every show and supported each other's bands and and once those bands broke up yeah i guess the natural thing is like you know, this dude seems cool and he's a good guitarist and i like the way this dude jumps on stage or whatever and uh despair was formed with phil again he was the original shit, man, there was a drummer before phil i believe but phil was the drummer that played on the demo and uh joe and, and matt and fligger were from from lockport in redline and just supernatural things like yo let's slugfest ended let's start a new thing because you know slugfest was fun and i love playing shows i love going to shows i i like you know having shirts in my band and designing things and we got a record out so maybe despair can get a record out and just really naturally like time to start the next band and we did <laughs>
0: yeah, and you guys I mean the, the catalog was a little more prolific, I feel like with despair than the than the previous bands. and obviously you guys had more uh, touring opportunities. Um, so was that kind of like your first experience to kind of like really like do like a like a real like, I guess you'd call it like almost like a more serious band or whatever?
1: Or? Uh, I guess so a little bit, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say in my memory we were that uh, serious. I would say we were a a touch older and had a little more experience, which opened the doors up to a few more things. Definitely, Despair was the first time I went on tour. Uh, We did put records out on Trustkill, which was, you know, not what it became, but the beginning of what it became. And he was very serious and had really good graphics and would put, and you know, back then you would open up a fanzine and you had your ad for your record in there and it would put a big smile on your face and made you feel like you you had accomplished something, you know? so trust kill was pushing stuff he you know had slick layouts and and was building what would become like a you know in in the underground a, a very big i don't want to say huge but a very big label and uh you know a, a lot of we toured and and we toured with brothers keeper and harvest uh Snapcase took us on tour once which was that was really cool because those were obviously really big shows um first time I went to Europe we went to Europe uh twice and um you know actually saying all this maybe we were a little more serious than I'm I'm saying uh but to me it was still just youthful fun uh pretty disorganized um a lot of member changes I'm probably uh control freak know-it-all uh Front, uh, front man syndrome if that's if that's a term um yeah but all in all it was cool and um we put out some cool stuff and like all my bands before terror we get to a decent point with a decent following where we can play decent shows and then it's over
0: yeah, and I guess speaking of it being over, I, I was definitely at that last show, and I just remember like people like that. That Mercury Theater was just insanely packed that night, and that kind of reminds me too that like, like you were like booking shows at the time too. Like, was that was that more just like booking shows for like like friends, like favors type thing or whatever?
1: Uh, I'm gonna contradict you and say I really wasn't booking shows. I don't think.
0: I want to say you booked the, and maybe it was somebody else, and I just always assumed you did, but I feel like you booked like a. Uh, like the week the Hatebreed album came out on Victory. I feel like you booked that show in Buffalo. But again, it could have been somebody else. I might just assume that you booked it.
1: Maybe Scott Sprig. Maybe you're getting the Scots mixed up. I mean, um, you know, I, had, I have booked some shows in my life, but I don't think I ever did it so serious where uh, you could say I was booking a lot of shows. I don't think.
0: Yeah, no, I guess I just kind of assume that, that you and Scottsburg booked those shows together, but it definitely could be a, a mixing the Scots up type thing, too. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely possible. So, so but I guess not long after uh, Despair broke up, uh, Buried Alive started, like, had you had the intention of, of singing for another band, or did that it just kind of happen for you?
1: No, uh, th- the best I can remember, so we're talking like 96, 97 uh despair had done this long uh summer tour with Hatebreed, uh their first like full u.s tour we i think our for the first time i ever went out to the west coast with with music and um you know it had its ups and downs there were definitely some shows with like 20 people but it was it was an amazing time like being with them and you, you could just tell that they were something special and And we, uh, we were pretty decent live band at the time and it was really fun. It was grueling too. It was really long. And, um, I want to say after maybe we went right to Europe and then it was just, uh, I I think two members quit and just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, I was probably bummed because on that, on that tour too, when we, uh, played in in la it was actually in riverside california at the barn uh tony victory flew out to the show and this is like prime time victory like the the label a lot of bands wanted to be on i don't want to say all bands wanted to be on because i'm sure there were some that didn't want to go that route but um he flew out and signed or whatever yeah actually signed like they signed a contract right there to be on victory and at the same time he asked us to do a seven inch so in my mind i'm like this is amazing. This is perfect. And we go home and we break up. And I'm again, like, I just keep doing this. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of it's my fault. I'm I I used to fly off the handle all the time and be real erratic about things and over the top and angry and uh, probably a dick to people. And, you know, I'm sure that added into it. But maybe some people just didn't like living in a van and all the things that come in come with being a band. Some people got girlfriends and said, I don't wanna be with these smelly dudes. I wanna be with this beautiful young lady. And, and, you know, all things I can see a lot clearer now, but then I was probably really bummed. So no, I didn't. I I, I was thinking I'm not gonna be in a band or, or uh, I had no intention of being in a band, but if you want me to keep going into how I got into Buried Alive, I can, if that's something you would like.
0: Yeah, that, that, that would probably make sense, just to kind of give the background of, of how the band started and, and you know, how, how it picked up steam or whatever, I guess.
1: Uh, sure. So uh, best I can remember, um, me and Matt Roberts, I don't think up during Despair, we were very tight. But at some point after Despair, uh, we started hanging out a lot and him and Jesse, uh, who I know, Je- you know, I talk to Jesse often still, and he's going to hate this because... He claims what I'm about to say is not true, but uh, he, uh, which band? I claim he he quit both bands, Despair and Buried Alive. He claims he only quit one of them, but either way, he left Despair, so I kind of had a bad taste in my mouth about him. Not as a person, he's a great, lovable person, but like, do I want to be in a band with this dude? Uh, basically, him, Joe, and uh, Matt started this band. And um, you know, I would, I was hanging out with Matt a lot, so I'd go over and, and watch them practice sometimes, which is crazy to me. If some band asked me now if I want to watch them practice, I would be like, "There's nothing, there's nothing in the world I'd rather do less than watch your band practice right now." But at the time, I was like, "Yeah, of course I want to watch your band practice." So I'd go over there and watch them practice. And and to make a, a long story short. They, they were asking me to be in it and after a while and just like that, the music is not exactly what I would call my type of hardcore. Um, and I, I bet before I was in the band, before I got my, uh, my uh, brain wrapped around it and my ideas, I, 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 I'm guessing I probably made it maybe a little bit faster and a little bit uh, less experimental because, um, You know, if you know Hourglass, that was a little more outside the box even than Buried Alive. But I could just tell something about it It was really heavy and it had like this really good energy. And eventually they broke me down and I agreed to be in the band.
0: Yeah, and I don't think it was very long before you guys kind of, I mean, obviously you you had been in other bands. You kind of already had developed like a network of people that you would like, you know, play shows with and stuff like that. But you know, related to that, I don't think it really took too long for you guys to kind of, you know, make waves in hardcore. And I think the first time I actually ended up seeing you guys play was at that. Uh, it wasn't called Hellfest yet, but it was like one of those like Syracuse Fest, like in Auburn or whatever. Um, by then, you guys were already, you know, a pretty well-established band, I would say. And you would only been around for a few months at that point. Um, I mean, I, I can't I
1: can't remember uh, that much detail. I do remember that show a little bit. I think it was a floor show. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a floor show. It was, I think, it was two days. I know Turmoil played one day, and the you know, same thing. I can't really remember all the all the bands that played. I mean, honestly, like there weren't as many bands of like the kind of hardcore that I like that were playing that weekend. I just I would just go because was like a festival, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would think at this point, this is my best guess. Um, we had all been in bands. We'd all uh, kind of learned how to play on stage and how to how to. Um, you know, uh, turn the knobs on your head to make your guitar and bass sound kind of good. And um, the the music was maybe somewhere in the middle, kind of like a turmoil. I think turmoil was a huge influence on us, where it was hard hitting enough and fast enough for your more straight up hardcore kid. But it was... You know, there was a lot of weirder stuff going on right there, outside the box stuff, experimental stuff, noisier stuff. And we had some of that elements in it for those people. And, um, again, it's just kids that go to shows and, and support other bands and have been in other bands and let other bands sleep on your floor and you put their bands in your fanzines. And, you know, that's one of the, you know, you there's there's one side of when a new band starts they have to, like, you know, back it up and and be decent and, 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 you know, come with some, some music that people are into. But uh, another thing too, if, if you've been in bands and, and supported all these other bands, of course, you're going to get support in return. So I think it was, which is, you know, the beauty of the underground hardcore community. So I think, you know, we probably were able to get shows a little bit easier than a brand new band in the most part, but that, that goes to saying you say we are established really quick. I don't remember it like the band started and we were having great shows immediately. Um, that sounds nice. I hope it was like that. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember so much.
0: Yeah, I just remember that. I mean, again, it was a festival, so obviously there'd be people going off. But I just remember you guys got like a pretty good pop that night or whatever. Um, how long did it take for the, I mean, obviously you'd already had the connection with Tony from, from the despair seven inch almost happened on there but how long do you remember it took before you guys like officially joined victory with that band was it was it pretty soon after like everything kind of started or
1: yeah i think it was hey tony i i know the despair thing didn't work out but i started this new band let's do the seven inch with this shit here's the demo and he agreed to do it so it was pretty simple at that point like um I had a, a fairly decent relationship with him and, and uh
0: yeah. Yeah. And then that full length ended up coming out. And, you know, obviously now I feel like, I mean, you might, you might think differently, but I think a lot of people look at that as like a classic album and, you know, you guys obviously did a reunion, like a bunch of reunion shows off of that. Um And then, and then like the touring off that album was, was pretty crazy. Like were you guys pretty much like a full-time band at that point or were you, would you just like tour like occasionally? Like, uh,
1: let me address a lot of things you said right there. Um, I, I honestly do think the album's really good. I think the artwork that Mike Ski is really cool. Uh, the recording came out great at track New Jersey. Um, I think the band has a pretty unique style and it's really heavy and uh, to be honest with you, I didn't in, until the, the the band members started talking again and there was an idea of playing a show again Um, which for a while I I was against, Um, I hadn't listened to the record in like, let's say over 10 years. And when I I did have to listen to it again to, to relearn the songs, it's, it's good. It's really good. And I don't really talk, you know, I don't, I don't, I think I'm, I hope I'm somewhat humble, but it's, it's a good record. And, um, as far far as a full-time band, I think maybe, you know, hate breeds going at this time and and bands and VOD and stuff like that. So earth crisis. So you're kind of getting this idea of you could be a full-time band. You could live off your hardcore band, but we were, we weren't big enough. And, and, um, you know, we were doing a lot of opening slots on tours. We did a a really cool VOD Scarhead Candiria tour, but we're opening that and play it and getting paid like I don't know, 150 a night. Um, we did cool shit with All Out War and Reach the Sky, but th- those are you know, 200 kids at at an, an average show, 400 at a big big city, a lot of shows with like 75 kids. So I don't think we were uh, financially able to be a full-time band. And, um, yeah, I'd I'd go home and, and telemarket and then play shows on the weekends. And then when we could line up a tour that we could do, we'd all save up some money and get in some beat up shitty van and go do it. That's the best of my memory. Um, since we're on all this, uh, the band breaking up, that's just a shitty memory I didn't go about it good. I don't think we anyone did, went about it good and I've apologized to everyone in the band about how it all went down and it was just a lot of anger and ego and, and misunderstanding what people were thinking and saying and just not being able to sit in a room and be like, yo guys, we got this really cool opportunity. We make some really good music, uh, you know, below all our stupid arguments. I love all you guys. Let's just like figure this out. I was like too immature to do that. And and, and no one in the band had that vibe where they were just gonna bring that to the table and, and have that talk. And eventually I just quit the band and said, I've had enough of this. I want nothing to do with this and took off and, and moved uh, with my girlfriend at the time out to the West coast. And, uh, i'm sure that left a shitty taste in their mouths and i was just thinking i i, I was always just thinking i don't ever want to go backwards especially when terror started and we had so much going on uh, you know i'd always co- constantly get asked by people you know all over whether it be europe or japan or florida or festivals well, you know, will you play with one of your old bands? And I was always like, no, 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 no. But, um, I mean, we're jumping way ahead. But since we're on Buried Alive, um, uh, I did that. I do this band, World Be Free. It's kind of like a side band with um, some other people. And we played with Judge in Buffalo. And um, uh, Scott Sprig had moved out to California. I saw him a bunch of times and, Uh, I kind of stayed in touch with Jesse and, but Matt and Joe, I had not spoken to in a long time. Like I'm saying over 10 years, maybe 20 years. And they were both at the show. And I want to say I approached them and just said, you know, let's talk. And we ended up, you know, having some drinks and laughing. And um, I probably said, I'm sorry. I was such a dick. And, you know, Matt's kind of crazy. Joe's pretty stern. And I I think uh, we kind of buried a lot of the bullshit that night. And um, I I, want to say Joe Hardcore had been pushing for a couple of years to really get buried alive at this is Hardcore. And then, you know, it could be a reality. And I'm I'm glad uh, that we played those shows. I'm more glad than anything that I'm now on a basis where I can text those guys anytime and say what's up and and stuff like that. And we did recently record two new songs, so we're gonna put out a seven inch pretty soon. It's all done. It'd probably be out by now if um, coronavirus wasn't shutting down pressing plants. So that's gonna come out on Bridge Nine Record and Br- Bridge Nine Records. And uh, we did do a couple shows with Me Sprig. And Jesse, without Joe and Matt, they just were, you know, after we played those, we played the fest in Philly, and then we played in Buffalo, and then we, uh, I think that was it, maybe? Uh, they just said, you know, like, I don't, I I work so much, I have so much going on, I just don't want to do it, but if you guys want to do other shows, to find other people to do it, so... Me, Jesse, and Sprigg said we already took this step forward. We're getting these calls. If if we find shows that we're all free and actually want to do it, we're going to do it. And we've had conversations like um, uh, Terror just played this past uh, winter. We played that Every Time I Die Christmas show, and we were all, all the buried, uh, buried alive members were in one room, and the Terror backstage like hanging out and laughing, so and talking about maybe doing something sometime. So. It's kind of all up in the air. It's kind of on those guys, if they ever want to do it, Matt and Joe. And, uh, you know, I was just texting with Matt, not yesterday, but the day before that, so two days ago. And he was saying, maybe we should record some more songs sometimes. So it's all kind of just like, whatever fucking happens, happens. And uh, I'm just glad, honestly, like I said that, because it weighed on me for a while. When when I left that band, I, I wasn't, it wasn't great how I did it. And I was uh, glad that I could make amends with that.
0: Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I haven't obviously been in any bands or anything, but I definitely have people that, you know, I, I, I kind of lost touch with and not on the best of terms. And, and to this day, you know, I'm going to be 40 next year. It's kind of like, you know, what the fuck am I kind of still holding grudges with people from like 15, 20 years ago, you know? Um, But, you know, it's it's how shit ha- happens sometimes, you know? So
1: Yeah, that's life. Uh, this beautiful yeah. life we're living
0: <laughs> exactly you know um yeah so i guess we'll jump into tara then um now my rem- my memory is that obviously you you quit buried alive like you said and then like you and i kind of kept in touch a little bit because i was trying to get you to write some some hip-hop reviews for my fanzine that never came out again um and i remember you were in arizona at the time and it kind of my my impression was that you were done doing bands um did tara kind of form more because like you met Nick and Todd and just realized that those guys were like into the same kind of shit you were and you you would want to do a band with them? Or like, how did the whole thing start? Uh, Did
1: I ever write any hip hop reviews?
0: You did. I'm sorry. I I made you waste time to write reviews for (laughs) an album, a zine that never came out again. It's, you know, it's one of those things where DIY makes more sense. And I had like two or three different people doing the layout for me over the years. And then finally, like, it would take like like two months longer than i needed it to take to come out and if you think about that with like doing interviews and like reviewing records like you had shit come out like three months late like at that point the reviews are kind of like not current you know what i mean so i, I finally i just said "Fuck, it, i'm not going to do this anymore the only one i remember you reviewing i think it was like either high and mighty or like like small peddlers maybe like you know one of those like like late 90s early 2000s like raucous uh type things or whatever you know
1: <laughs> i love that i love both of those um yeah, so buried alive, I, I quit, packed up my shit, went and picked up my girlfriend at the time who was living in Chicago and uh, moved out west. Uh, first, I lived with my friend Mark in his house. He, he just built a brand new house in, in the Phoenix area. And we lived there for, uh, I don't know, let's say six months and just trying to figure out where we, we just, we just made a, a, a deal, a verbal deal with each other that we wanted to live together, but not in Chicago or Buffalo and where Bar- when Baird alive ended, we were going to move to California. So we did. Um, so at that time, we're just, uh, figuring out where we're going to move. We didn't know if it was San Diego, San Francisco, LA. Um, and at that time, I'm I'm so gung ho. I'm done with bands. Every every band I'm in, I put everything into, and it just dies. And it's just oh, like I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I probably think it's a waste of time. Uh, it's aggravating. I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm I'm about to become a normal person. Um. One of those trips exploring California, I uh, stayed with Dave Mandel, who the almighty Larry Ransom was living at living with at the time in in Southern California. And he gave me a tape that had no warning and carry on on it. Just kind of like telling me like, oh, I think you will really like this shit. And he was very, very right. It was two two of the best newer things that I had heard in a long time. And... um, let's just say a month later, again, I'm planning to move to California, but I'm not planning to do music, or that that sounds like I'm a musician. I was not planning to do a hardcore band. Um, I get this call on my answering machine from John LaCroix from 10 Yard Fight, who was like, "Yeah, I heard you live in Arizona, I'm starting this band with the guitarist and drummer a Carry On, and we want you to sing in I was probably 50% excited and 50% like no I can't fucking don't do this to me but I guess the it was uh, the 50% of excitement took over and you know I t- I, t- I had never met uh, I had never met Nick I knew John Lacroix very very like a yo what's up bassist from maybe you know, buried alive playing shows with 10 yard fight or being in the same room at the same time. And, um, I heard Todd say recently on a podcast that he had met me at a show at, uh, that buried alive played in, uh, like the Ventura area of California. But in my mind, I hadn't met him at the time. So I was just like, I didn't know anyone really, but I did know that that carry on the lifeless plague record was amazing. And if it was those two dudes, I was extremely interested. So um, I drove out to Arizona or uh, to L.A. from Arizona by myself, like six hour drive, meet Nick and Todd. Uh, John LaCroix never shows up for the band he started. I think I drove I drove out twice and I think he just I don't know, he blew, blew him off, blew the practices off. So he was out of the band and met Nick and Todd. They were younger than me, but, uh, you know, we were very similar on what we wanted to do with a band and they just played blazing, fast, hard hitting, aggressive, hardcore. And I was just immediately like, let's fucking do this. And it is 20 years later and it has never, ever fucking stopped, which is, I guess, what I wanted what I was so mad about all my bands breaking up and it's just been the exact opposite so I guess I got what I fucking wanted
0: yeah it's crazy to think that you've been in, in a hardcore band for that long and then to try to think back like like 20 years before that band started it was like basically the early years of hardcore you know it's, it's crazy to think like how, how much has happened in hardcore now since then um, and one thing I want to add to that about carry on and no warning is, is, is carry on was a fucking phenomenal band and I was lucky enough to book uh, a show on that tour here and i remember after they broke up i was like man this fucking sucks like that lp was so good and i only got to see him like once or twice um and and a side note of that carry on no warning show that happened here too i guess there's i don't have a copy myself but i guess there's a vhs tape that rob antonucci is going to hopefully digitize at some point so it'd be really cool to to get that out or whatever somewhere um but yeah, so, so the band, you put that demo out, and then you pretty much started touring right away, like not long after that, right? <sighs> yeah.
1: Um, unlike what I said with Buried Alive, I think Terror's objective, like we actually talked and said, if we're going to do this, let's go full on. Let's And, and this is now even more at a time when bands are, you know, like... Like uh, the uh, Trust Kill era of bands is really the end the thing. So, bands are making money and having booking agents and having managers and are being played on Headbangers Ball. And Trust kills distributed by, uh, you know, um, huge distribution. And not that we were on Trust Kill yet, but it was just like at a time where being a full time hardcore band was not easy, but achievable if if you really go for it i would say so i think we said all right if we're gonna do this we're going all in and we did and um put the demo out i think the demo had a a really good energy to it i think our live shows from the start had a a good energy to it todd knew so many people um on the west coast i knew the people i knew and um yeah Matt Pike started booking us right away. So, you know, one week we're on tour with American Nightmare. The next month we're on tour with Blood for Blood. A month after that, we're on tour with 18 Visions. And it just kept going and going and going and going.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I have good memories of, like, the. I think I was actually the first two East Coast shows you guys played. I'm pretty sure the first one was at Hellfest. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but the bouncers were just like being total assholes, like the front of the stage. And all of a sudden you're just like, take these fuckers down or some shit like that. And like, it's just the whole fucking like tons of people to start stage diving on the bouncers heads and just, they just got out of there immediately. And it turned into like a real, like create like fun, hardcore fest at that point. And then I got to book a show for you guys here, uh, with, with a uh, death threat and desperate measures um desperate measures didn't make it unfortunately but death threat you guys i think were that was probably one of your first if not your first u.s tours with death threat right
1: yeah the first real u.s tour and that was the one that hellfest was on was um us uh over my dead body and death threat i believe was the tour and uh i know desperate measures played the virginia the richmond show so um uh you know their singer is and was then a good friend of mine so probably tried to get them on as many shows as possible
0: yeah that makes sense and they were a really good band um so like you said you guys ended up on trustville eventually but the first record came out on bridge nine um so you kind of you pretty much at this point have been on like like pretty much all the good hardcore labels and (laughs) you know (laughs) i mean not to you know but it's it's like a lot of kids starting bands would be like oh i'd love to be on just one of these labels but by that point you, you pretty much have done them all um can i interrupt you you? yeah go ahead
1: i know you told me not to interrupt you but (laughs) i had not been on revelation Uh i had not been on new age i have since crossed off the revelation thing with world be free and i intend on before i'm dead crossing off the new age thing but continue sir
0: no that's no it's, it's a good banter back and forth like that um it's good to have a bucket list like that of, of labels you want to do i guess and and you're, you're pretty close to completing it it sounds like um so like was the was obviously the point was just to do like really crazy touring and then like you kind of mentioned i guess we'll jump ahead the timeline a little bit um you started doing some pretty diverse toys tours at that point because i don't, I don't know if you remember or not but i ended up living in denver for a few months in 2006 and both the shows that i saw you guys on there were like not not like a traditional hardcore tour like one of them was like the sounds of the underground tour and then i don't remember the exact lineup But you played there a couple months later with like i want to say like Unearth and and bleeding through maybe i don't know if that sounds right to you at all um but yeah like that was that was just cool that you guys would like do like diverse tours I mean, i'm guessing you were just trying to 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 get to get it out to as many different people as possible at that point right
1: yeah we we, we got a lot of opportunities and i mean i could list off you know, you know, we have toured with Behemoth. We have toured with Chimera. We have toured with Lamb of God. We have toured with, you know, all sorts of, and then like lots of like Amur and that whole scene of bands. And uh, Unearth took us on tour a couple times, and they they were great. I, I love that um, Black Dahlia Murder. I could just, you know, we were very open to playing to any type of crowd we were very open to playing different types of shows and and all that stuff that comes with it and uh i'm glad we did a lot of it there were some tours that you know too many nights of a barricade in a row or you know I, i think um maybe just too much touring altogether, where like Someone has seen terror five times this year in Denver and they're just, you're just bound to burn these people out. So there was, um, there was a point. Um, when was it? I'd say after keepers of the faith came out, we just really kind of slowed down and it didn't, it didn't help that my, neck and back had all these bulging disc issues and I was getting old and really beating myself up on the road. We kind of just slowed down and kind of had this inter band. um, uh, I want to go with awakening, but that's way too (laughs) abrasive of a word, but I'll just say awakening that, you know, up to that point we were always pushing to get on these outside the box tours and we'd get offered these things and jump on the opportunity and we kind of just said to ourselves which we've been doing for like i don't know the last five years or something like let's just tour with bands that we want to tour with let's just say no to things that we don't think are 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 things that we wouldn't as you know if we step back what people would would not want to see us doing just kind of play the shows we want to do. I mean, we've, we've always been a band that really thrives in that small club, dirty, in-your-face, fucking jump-on-people's-heads environment. That's always what the band's been about and will always be about. But it's hard when you're getting all these opportunities and, you know, you, you want to go on Sounds of the Underground. The lineup is fucking Lamb of God and fucking uh, all these bands. And you're just like, how do you turn this down? Like, how do you say no to that? And now we've just kind of decided – you know, it really might have been after we did Warp Tour because Warp Tour is, is a fucking grind, and um, it's seven weeks. And we did it in the best way we could. We shared a bus with Every Time I Die, which was perfect. They had done it so many times that they could, you know, show us all the little ins and outs and how to uh, make yourself more comfortable. And uh, we shared a bus with them and a road crew with them, and, and it was – It was the most comfortable we could be, but I think after that tour, we were just like, we've done so much. Let's just kind of reel it back and kind of just do the shit that we really want to do. And we've been doing that lately, and it's honestly made us mentally a lot happier. It's made us kind of, I would hope people, they see us a little less, so they're a little more excited to see us. And and that's kind of just how we've been running the band more.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And and the constant touring versus the touring smarter was definitely a, a question I was going to ask you about. And I guess speaking of like you guys uh, touring and playing like dirty clubs and stuff like that, like you guys played here uh, two years ago with Knocked Loose. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting older now. And my son had just been born like two weeks before and, and afterwards. My girlfriend's not really into hardcore, but she was asking me how the show was. I was like, oh, it's great. I was stage diving and everything. And she <laughs> was like, aren't you a little old for that? And I'm like, what the fuck, you know? And like, as I was telling you, when I was telling you before the interview, like I was in, and I've, and I've talked about this on the podcast enough by now, but I was in a pretty serious car accident a couple, like last year. And I I had neck and back issues from that too, which are probably going to linger for a while. So I think uh, my stage diving career is probably over after that, but we'll, uh, we'll find out if there's ever, ever a, a good hardcore show again at this point. Um, but I guess another thing I kind of wanted to ask you about with like doing so many tours and shit like that with Terror, like, are there any like and i know you said you have not the best memory so if you can't think of anything that's cool too but like do you have any like crazy or funny like tour stories that you that you could tell it or say for the podcast <laughs>
1: um i mean it's it's been an insane ride um, <sighs> i'm trying to think you know i always think it's i think it's funny when uh, like one time we were, uh, our boy Smackman from, he's from Richmond was driving our van and, and we, it was like four in the morning <clears throat> and I went in to take a shit at a rest stop and I didn't take my phone and I came out and they were gone. It's like, you know, you just do these road trips and you just, he just got back in the van and thought everyone was sleeping and took off and I didn't have my phone and I just, Sat there. I don't know. I think I feel like it was an hour, and they just came. Someone <laughs> realized I wasn't there. And one time we were in Europe with Donnie Brook and uh, their singer Dre. Uh, we were on a bus, a bus tour here, and it was on the ferry, and he didn't get back on the bus. And we drove to the show, and everyone's in a bunk, and you're like, "Where's Dre?" And he, you know, was gone. I, I, I think that shit's pretty funny to me. Um, so much drunken stup- stupidity. Um, I don't know. I I I I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take this in a different direction than just saying uh, stupid stories. But I feel so 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 grateful that um, not just Terror, but you know, other bands have taken me around the world. Like I've been to Japan now. I don't know, like five times, and um, I met so many. people. It's, it's really cool for me to hear your podcast with some people from Buffalo that, you know, I've always known some of their story and some of their music, but when you dig a little deeper, it it makes me miss Buffalo. And, and, and hearing those stories is really cool to me. And just being able to, like, it, it's, it's crazy to say this because the truth of the matter is I don't have that much talent. I just had this drive, and uh, I just – I guess I have an energy where I can scream and go off on stage, but it's not that much of a talent. But the fact that I just have, I haven't worked a job in uh, 19 years. I have traveled all over. I've met so many great people. I'm extremely thankful and I do not take it for granted and i definitely there there i could go the other direction and tell you how much i hate it how much it's fucked my life up how much it's fucked my body up how much it's made me a drunk miserable person living out of a dirty suitcase but at the end of the day i'm super super thankful and uh, i would never imagine it could happen so um if you could put a little probe in my brain and suck out all the funny stories the shit i've seen and things I've seen people do and heard and all the crazy shit that some of it is not okay for the podcast. (laughs) It is, it's amazing. Like I've been able to just be a kid for uh, the last 20 years. And um, you know, there is the people that know me know that I'm like, I don't want to fucking go on tour I don't want to go you know, when it gets to the point when you're like, I don't want to go to Europe again. And people would say to you, you fucking spoiled asshole. Don't fucking say that to me. But the reality is sometimes I just don't want to do it, but I'm extremely lucky and extremely thankful. And, you know, like uh, I'm not here to like pleading my case, but always when, when terror has come to Buffalo we've had really good support and I I see a lot of familiar faces that have supported us. So it means the world to me. And I really know there's times I really do miss Buffalo. And I know you're from Rochester, but when we're doing this, it's, it's all Buffalo for me.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that was one of the, the, the the first ideas I had with doing this podcast. And obviously you were someone I thought about interviewing, but I didn't, I, you know, I guess it just didn't click to me that you would be paying attention, like seeing like old friends interviewed on here. So I had planned on interviewing you like further down the road um but you know like rochester and buffalo to me like i know the scenes aren't exactly the same but like we're so close together and like for me as a teenager like buffalo was like just as important as rochester there were so many good shows and and good bands coming out of there you know that it was like i i I would love to just kind of bridge the gap with this and at first my idea was to have like one rochester person one buffalo person like like every other episode now it's just kind of worked out like you know whoever i can interview but it's 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 been really fun and i'm glad to kind of like reconnect with all my old friends and stuff too you know so it's been pretty cool Yeah, I
1: love it. I mean, uh, the truth of the matter is, in my life, I go on tour and I uh, am around my band members all day and all night in the van, at the hotel, whatever we do at the show, and then whatever other people are at the show. And when I come home at this point, I literally go into full hermit mode and taking walks by myself and listening to podcasts is one of my favorite things. I I don't go out. I don't go out to bars or I don't go out to restaurants. I mean, not now for sure, but even when there is no virus creeping through the air, I'm not really a social person at all. I, I still go to shows a lot. Um, I still look forward to going to shows. Um, but other than that, I don't do much. I, I like to ride my bike and listen to podcasts and walk and watch TV and shit like that.
0: Yeah, no, that's pretty much exactly how I am. Like, I, 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 w- I was definitely in full-on hermit mode for a couple of years. Now, having a kid, I kind of have to be a little more social, but I still kind of try to, like, have my girlfriend deal with all the parents and stuff like that. And I, I too, like to just ride my bike and listen to podcasts as much as I can. Um, so I'll have a few more terror questions, but I kind of want to try and stick to the timeline thing um but one thing that kind of jumps around the timeline a little bit i guess is i'm i I think i have this fanzine packed away in one of my totes somewhere i remember you did a fanzine called born to expire um do you remember how many issues you did of that and like what other fanzines did you do after that
1: um i want to say five or six issues that was uh the first time mad ball was coming to la after freddie got out of jail we we got on like the west coast shows or the california shows i think we did three or four shows and i just i don't know in my head i was just like well, i want to have a zine to sell at this and that was the first issue and then uh so sp- sporadically every year or two i'll do born to expire uh i want to say i got up to five six or seven issues and i haven't done one since um you know when i was in buffalo i did a couple different zines i did living with joe luca which he started and then i came on board for maybe issue three through nine or something like that he was always definitely the um driving force of that he he was good with the computer or the typewriter maybe actually jesus (laughs) he was good with the typewriter and kinko's and i would just go we would you know mail bands through the inner or the interview bands through the like the mail put a fucking letter in the mail and get it back and type it up and then cut out photos and photocopy them and and he was definitely the, the, the more technical side of that I was kind of maybe just picked a band or two to interview sometimes and um then he did a couple issues after uh you know without me uh I know I did a zine called Deception which had zero uh, tolerance on the cover But uh, recently, um, me, my friend Patrick, who does Reaper Records, and Andrew from Strife, we did a zine called Pressure Drop that uh, came out, let's say, a year or two ago. It had a flexi with it. My brother's band, um, Pure Heel, was on it. Zero Tolerance was on it. Uh, I did a really cool, if anyone, well, I don't know if this thing's obtainable anymore. I think it's gone, but... I did a really cool interview with, uh, Mark from zero tolerance, which I would think is probably the only interview he's done in the last 20 years. Like, uh, I found him on the almighty Instagram and, uh, talked a little while and asked if he'd be willing to answer some questions, because if you know that band, they have quite an interesting, uh, story to them. And, um, who else was in, it? I did a really cool interview with BD from hate breed kind of on their early years and uh, uh praise was in it give was in it um yeah it was cool is is definitely a slick zine it, lo- it looked really good but on that note we have issue two num pretty much done um i've got a cool conviction interview i did in it um hoya from Madball. uh fuck who um, uh carrie housing from chicago she's in in old like my age straight edge vegan um she does like an, uh, like a DIY animal rescue now. So I interviewed her and a bunch of, a bunch of other things. It's, it should be out, I don't know, in the next couple months. It's, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that sounds really cool. And, and it seems like, like fanzines have kind of had a, a little resurgence over the last couple of years. Like it seems like they kind of went by the wayside for a little while there. Um, you know, it's something I wouldn't mind doing again one day, but I guess like I'm kind of doing this podcast in lieu of doing that for now. And even sometimes when I'm telling people about future episodes, I I say a future issue because I'm still thinking about it, like, in terms of, like, doing a fanzine or whatever, you know. Um, But it's definitely cool to see that culture kind of, like, still around and stuff like that, you know.
1: I am the dude that sees a zine on the merch table, and if I have a few dollars in my pocket, I will buy it, no ifs, ands, or buts, because... I love zines and I want to check out what people are saying, what bands are, are expressing and you know, all the photos and stuff like that. And I also know when I did those issues of Born to Expire, I would print a hundred of them and give 30 away and lose money every time. So it's, it's really, a, it's got to be a passion project, I guess.
0: Yeah, definitely. Even when I was, like, printing mine on Newsprint and getting, like, ads from, like, Bridge9 and Victor, I still wasn't making any money or anything because of the same thing. I would print a 1,000 of them. I'd probably give away, like, almost all of them at that point, you know. Um, so I guess kind of getting back into bands. Um, I mean, you only have, like, two more bands for me to really ask about, I guess. But um, there was one that that seemed like a pretty cool thing, and I'm I'm guessing the reason why you didn't, guys didn't do too much more was because, like, you're all from different areas. But but that SOS band was, was pretty cool, and it had, like, a lot of different people in it um you just did the one record with that band though right
1: yeah uh i want to say that was my idea um i became friends with matt henderson and he uh for anyone who doesn't know he he wrote all the early um Madball stuff and one voice af i believe he wrote most of it i could be wrong but i think uh he's just a, an amazing guitar player and he lives here in long beach like an hour from me and uh, this could be wrong, but I, I think I probably jocked him a little bit and said, "We gotta do a band together. We gotta do a band together," and he agreed. And then I just, you know, pulled in BD from Hate Reed, which uh, is some great bass player and uh, an awesome person. But I thought he would be kind of cool for the for the for the look of the band or whatever. Um, that that's not even true. That the look of the band sounds so stupid. I wanted to be in a band with him also, so. um I got him, and then Sam from Trapped Under Ice—they were like ripping the world up. And he's a great, great fucking songwriter too. And then uh, Nick from Terror is just the most laid-back, awesome person. He's such so easy to be in a band with, and he's so talented. And and he's got so many—you know—I don't—I don't, don't want to take anything away from his drumming because he just sits down and plays perfect smashing hardcore for 30 to 40 minutes every terror set but when i'm talking talented he he's right at grading song uh, great at writing songs he's he can record bands he's just he's super talented and very easygoing so uh got him to play drums and it was just one of those things like i i you know i wish we would have played a show or two but the reality is matt is is got three three children i believe bd's on tour with Hatebreed. me and nick with terror trapped under ice at the time it was just like kind of shooting yourself in the foot to think anything real could come out of it but it was cool we just and and i maybe was living with patrick at the time uh reaper and just asked him if he wanted to do the record and it was just super easy and super cool
0: yeah, that's cool. And you mentioned it in a couple of New York hardcore people in the last couple of answers. Um, obviously, this this podcast has been pretty much all Rochester and Buffalo so far. But I definitely have plans um, in the future to expand to a whole lot of New York hardcore people too, because I think that that's a, a pretty interesting story that would be that would be cool to put on here too. Um, so I guess I guess the last band uh, you had already mentioned that Judge Show, which I didn't get a chance to run into that night, but I was I was definitely there for that. Um, World be free played that show um and it sounds like you guys are still an active band but i'm guessing it's kind of like a back burner type thing with you doing terror so much um
1: no we actually have a a five brand new songs recorded um you want me to break down the band or just tell you that
0: yeah no no take it back from the beginning because i don't think you really i mean you mentioned who was in the band before but you know just kind of tell a background story and you know leading up to now i guess
1: sure um can i say one other thing before that of course Um, I love New York Hardcore, of course, and you could probably get some amazing stories, but you should really push to get like um, some Snapcase people would be great. If you could find a zero tolerance member or two, that would be something that would be amazing for me to hear. Uh, Justin from No Joke, I I think he's like a booking agent now. That would be really cool. So um, I'm just pushing for my own selfishness, (laughs) things I would like to hear. Um, Garrett from Texas is the reason Um, if you need any uh, connecting of people hit me up because I know some of these people Um, but back to world be free so um, yeah I I can remember it clearly I was uh, hiking in studio city California by my studio city California by myself and I think I was listening to lifetime just walking up a little mountain and I just I just had this thought in my head, like I've done, you know, every band I've done does not sound completely the same, but it's all like fast, aggressive in your face, hardcore. And I was just like, I just want to do something semi melodic or semi. My goal was like Dag Nasty, Gorilla Biscuits. And uh, I just hit up Joe Garla because I know he can write songs so good. And he lives kind of, he lives like an hour away from me. And I was like, for people that know Joe, he's, very uh it never can it be excited he's very straight-faced he never acts like he cares about anything he's just like yeah sure so i hit joe up and i was like yo i want to do this what do you think and it probably gave him gave me like this nonchalant answer but i want to say like within two days he sent me two songs and they were like right on the money which i knew they'd be he's he's great and um from there, I, I Andrew from Strife is is one of the very few people in LA that I actually hang out with, and that's just because I don't do anything, and he lives very close to me. So I think I played him the songs, and he was like, "Oh, I want to do it." And then I had this, I had this little, uh, uh, I had this little long shot idea. I was like. I had known Sammy, uh, who plays drums in so many bands, Youth of Today and Rival Schools and all these bands. I I knew him very little bit, and I knew he lived out here. And I just brought it up to Andrew. I'm like, let's just ask Sammy. And at this time, um, in my head, it was just going to be like a four song, something very similar to S.O.S., where we just recorded some songs and put out a seven-inch And when I talked to, actually, Andrew talked to Sammy first, but when I, you know, when he got in touch with me or whatever, he was the person that was like, yo, if I'm going to do this, we're going to do it for real. It's not just going to be this recording and a waste, of, for lack of better terms, a waste of time. Like, if we're going to do this, we're going to put everything, you know, he's in like 20 bands. He understands, but whatever we can do, we're going as much as we can do. And, uh, so he's responsible for that. And, um... He got Arthur from Gorilla Biscuits on bass and um, we just started writing songs and they wrote great songs. And, it, uh, you know, they obviously Arthur and Sammy had the connection to Rev, which was a bucket listing to me. And um, it was really, honestly, really cool to, to write with those guys. And it was very uh, intimidating and outside the box to do to do the vocals and like you know like let's take my mom for instance i i told her you know she asked me music stuff sometimes and i told her i did a band where i actually sang in and i sent her the link and she's like this sounds just like your other stuff so to her <laughs> i didn't sing at all but to me it's completely foreign to me and you know i did the vocals with nick recording it uh, the drummer of terror because he has recorded me so many times and kind of is way more musical than me. So him and Sammy really coached me through it, but once once I found what I could do and what I couldn't do and understood that I couldn't sing like Siv and I, it wasn't going to be like Gorilla Biscuits and we kind of found our little niche of what we were going to be. Um you know, I was really really proud of the record and really excited and, it's really a bum out because I really fucked my back up and had to go get surgery. Right. I want to say a few months after the record came out and it really leveled any, you know, terror was always going to be my main focus, but it really leveled any momentum. We did, um, a couple shows in California with give, and then we did like four or five shows on the East coast with judge. And, you know, we're kind of being a, a, a real band or a band that plays, And it all just and then once I had surgery and didn't play for a while in my head, I devoted uh, my allegiance was to terror and to make sure terror was okay. And it kind of really sucked the life out of World Be Free. And then uh, maybe a year or so ago, we started jamming again. Um, We got Alex from Chain of Strength in the band because Arthur... The rest of us live in the LA area. Arthur lives in New York. He got a job. He just couldn't do it anymore. So we got Alex from Chain of Strength and and recorded five new songs that again, they're done and they'll be coming out sometime soon on Rev.
0: Yeah, no, that that's 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 cool. I mean it, it the, the back thing I can definitely relate to, obviously, like I said before, and, and I, I'm really nervous about having to have back surgery like in the future because I can only imagine like what that would feel like. Um but if so, is, this, is the new stuff with the world be free though? Is that going to be on rev too? Or are you guys not, not totally sure about that offhand? No,
1: it'll definitely be on rev. And I would say, unless you don't, unless you are really fucked up and can't walk, try to avoid. I had surgery on my neck and it was one of, I wish I could take it back. Uh, they did more bad than good. And I've heard that from lots of people. So I would say exhaust other every other possibility until you let someone get in there and chop you up
0: yeah that that's definitely my hope i mean like i said i had to have surgery on my arm because that was all fucked up and even that like sometimes you know it just feels weird now having like metal in there and shit you know um but we don't need to go too far into the weeds i guess about being old men and having weird injuries and shit you know um but i guess i guess before we jump into the, like the current events and shit um with having been in so many bands and like doing like so many like i don't even, can't even imagine how many records you've done i don't know if, you, if you've ever encountered offhand um but have you ever like come into a, an issue where you're like oh shit i've written the, like lyrics like this on a record before or anything like that
1: yeah absolutely i've also come into um listening to an old song and and not realizing i'm saying i've said the same thing 10 years ago um It's definitely a challenge. I mean, I don't want to say that it's this huge deal because uh, it is what it is. I mean, but you you don't want to say the same phrases over and over. But, you know, you just stay semi-creative. And I'm always writing, like if I hear a little phrase in a movie or, you know, just someone in a a hip hop song, I'll just write it in my phone and just keep that in the like a little bank of lyrics to be but it's definitely hard because you know i'm playing the same style of music uh with terror we're coming up on lp number eight or nine or some shit like that and you know we're we're for for the most part the same style of band and the same band and you know i've hope i hope i've grown and changed in some ways but i'm pretty much similar to who i was when the band started so it is a challenge but it is what it is
0: yeah that that's you know what can you do at that point i guess um yeah, yeah so i guess i guess kind of jumping into current events i know you guys were on tour um did you guys get to finish that last tour you guys did before everything shut down with the covid yeah the la-
1: up up until the last two shows it was just kind of like this thing that was being talked about but not so seriously it was like really serious in europe And then I remember the last two shows, which were Cleveland and Cincinnati, we were getting calls like the show might be canceled, blah, 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 this shit's getting super serious, it's getting super serious, blah, blah, blah. But we finished the last two shows on um, March 13th and 14th, something like that. The last show was in Cincinnati, and uh, the morning of the 15th, I flew home, I was you know, with all the scrambling that was going on those last two days, I was just like, are they going to shut down airports? What's going to happen with this flight? So when I landed home in LA and got to my house, I was, you know, happy to be home and uh, just watching everything unfold has been quite the roller coaster of insanity.
0: Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And again, like having a kid, I mean, I know kids aren't really susceptible to this, but it still makes me nervous and it just makes me wonder like what the future is going to hold for him at this point, you know? Um, and I, and I actually, uh, started working in retail last year, which, you know, you would think it sucks, but like the people I work with, they're really cool and like, I really don't mind it. And I actually had just gotten a promotion. Um, and then just yesterday they announced that we've been back to work for like four weeks and, and they're cutting all these positions. And one of mine was one of the ones they cut. So luckily I'm staying on like full time, but not, not in the capacity I was before, which, you know, again, like who knows what's like the retail is already a dead industry anyways. And now like, who knows who's going to be out shopping in a few months, you know? So um the effect for me is obviously pretty obvious and i think it is for you too um but like what do you like what do you guys think like is in store for the future like like as a band like like do you have any idea when you guys can like we'll be able to feasibly tour again uh
1: no i i don't um a lot of like i'll, I'll answer this in a couple different ways a lot of people write me like you must be losing your mind. You must want to get on stage right now. And I'm like, Nope. Like I've toured 20 years straight. Like the, the not playing part has been perfectly fine with me. I'm, I'm very happy with not playing. Um, the not making a penny since March 14th is a rough one. Um, and the uncertainty is really rough. Like, you know, uh, just speaking from a California standpoint, the state coronavirus wise cases from what I was reported to me, what I looked into was, was, was doing very well and was down to like, you know, a thousand cases a day or less. And since with reopening, it's exploded. Like I saw over 500, 5,000 cases for the last couple of days. So, um, I see like, a they're considering banning, uh, Americans from traveling to Europe, which for a band like terror, that's, that's huge for us. We go to Europe three or four times a year. And, and just to put a little bit of our business out there, that's where we definitely make the most money. And this band has really been able to be a full-time hardcore band and, and survive off it. So that's like scary. And, you know, I, I, our booking agent in, in Europe was talking December, trying to, you know, you know, loosely, talking December like a month or two ago today I heard February so it's just getting later and later and it's just like I mean it's all just I just don't want to see people sick and dying and I just you know like for me I'm I'm very good at like I said hibernating is very easy for me and I also live in Burbank like California like it's it's like you know 20 minutes from downtown LA but it's somewhat suburban. I can, I can just go for a walk anytime. And if I see someone, I'll just cross the street or I can go for a bike ride. But I know some people that live like, you know, in an inner city, they're, they're just on top of each other. And it's just, it's just really scary. So on one hand, I'm loving the time off. I'm, you know, doing things to that get highly neglected when you're on tour month after month after month. Um, At the same time, I'm scared for the world and the way the United States is right now. You've seen other countries maybe be a little more disciplined and serious and watching their numbers drop. That's beautiful. But with this wonderful fucking president we have (laughs) and everything going on out of his mouth and, you know, people that are just like, refusing to to believe that coronavirus is real. And, you know, like, to me, fucking putting a mask on does not insult me or make me feel less of a free person when it's going to save people's lives. So I'm just, I I think um, people in America are maybe a, a little bit spoiled and a little bit are going to do what they want to do no matter what the consequences are. And we're seeing it right now. And, um, you know, I, I try, I don't want to get or, or whatever I'll get, I'll get political. I travel all over the world and a lot of people laugh at Americans, you know, a, a lot of people jock Americans music and style and New York city and LA. That's definitely undoubtedly true. But a lot of people laugh at Americans because we're dumb Americans in it's just, it's, it's sad to see that just we can't even control our, our needs or our, our, just our, you know, we can't just control ourselves and take care of each other. And everyone was just out for self. It's just, it's sad to see.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, it's really crazy because, like, you look at the red states that opened, like, like ridiculously early and, and, like, those cases have been spiking for a while. And, like, us in New York. Like, especially Rochester, like, like we, we we slowly opened up. Like, Cuomo was really on top of this shit. And, like, you look at our cases, and they're, and they're minimal. But then it's just kind of like, I, I feel like California is on the same kind of uh, time frame with reopening. So it's kind of interesting to see, like, like your guys' cases, like, spiking again, you know? Like, it's, I guess, I don't, I don't really know how to, I mean, none of us really know exactly what's going on, you know? It's just kind of like what we see and what we read, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it has to do with, um, I mean, the reopenings definitely do not help. I think it's way too soon. Yeah, of, of course, supermarkets need to be open and pharmacies, but do you need to get your nail? I mean, I'm the first person to say, which is so laughable, the thing I miss most is, that miss most is a haircut because I get my haircut like every five days, but <laughs> I haven't, barbershops are open here. I'm not going to a barbershop right now. Like it's just so unnecessary. Like, so some of these things, like I saw, like, Um, it seems like a month ago, like Georgia opened bowling alleys. And I'm like, who the fuck needs to go bowling right now? It's like, it's just crazy to me, but I I get it too. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a balance because my, my girlfriend works at a, like a a small boutique owned by a husband, wife and, and their, their child. And it's like, how long do they stay closed until they lose their business that they put their whole life into? So I see all sides of it, but like, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a hard thing, but I do know, like, you know, like in LA, like in, in orange County, there's this whole movement of people that just do not want to wear a mask. Like it's so offensive to them. And like, I don't want to tell people what to do, but to me, if you like, you know, you know, most people, sure. They live through it, but some people have already lung issues. Some people, i just don't have the immune system and they're gonna fucking die from it and they're dying from it and like if you don't have compassion for that then i don't know you seem like kind of a shitty person to me
0: yeah i completely agree i mean i have we have friends and family that are in the medical industry and like we have relatives that would definitely be susceptible to getting this because of their immune systems um and I guess just one one other – well, two other questions, I guess, but I'll ask the first one first about, like, your band and stuff. Like, have you thought at all about, like, what – and again, I'm not trying to get too negative with this, I guess, but have you thought of like, what the future is going to be like when you guys do go on tour again? Because obviously, like, bands like you guys and Madball are, like, 100% crowd participation, like, stage diving, you know, moshing. Like, like what do you think the vibe's going to be like for that kind of stuff, like, when you guys are able to tour again?
1: Yeah, honestly, I don't – you might think this is bullshit but i just don't think about that stuff i it's it's whatever happens is going to happen and we'll cross that bridge when we get there um i think one of the one of the advantages of a band like terror is we don't draw huge huge amounts of people so i think the bigger restrictions will be on more like arena bands and things like that and you know if it's if it's safe you know, we can always get crazy and play in a basement or play in a VFW hall under the radar like we've done our whole lives. But there's so many questions that thinking about it, it's just going to drive me crazy if I like let my brain brain go. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I do know it is possible to have a really cool show and energy with a barricade. But that's not at all what I want. And it's also that a barricade can ruin a show at the same time. So um, we'll see what happens. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I, I know with the next the next subject I have after this, you'll probably say you don't really care as much about the support right now. But um, obviously, sticktight.la uh, is, is a good source right now. But, like, is there any other way for people to, like, try to support you guys while you guys aren't touring and stuff like that?
1: Um, we put up the stick tight LA thing because after a couple months, we were just kind of like <sighs> disconnected and kind of lost touch. And, um, uh, we had I, a friend, uh, the, the bass player trapped in the rice had that idea of breaking down each record. So we invented the garage cast. And then we realized we had so many like demos of things and videos, and we just put up the thing and, um, yeah, it's it's all free but if if anyone wants to go to that and y- there's a place where you can donate anything that's fine too but if not that's fine um i mean that's a great place because any money that does come in goes directly to us the only other thing is buying merch that you know a- after the merch company takes their cut and stuff like that that's a lot less money but that always helps when we do get a check from these merch companies that's always very very much appreciated and we're, you know, very much on our merch game with or without coronavirus. Um, we're always trying to put out cool new stuff. And um, so we're going to continue to do that. Obviously, we haven't sold anything in a while with everything that's bo- been going on in the world um, with the Black Lives Matters movement. And we've been really focused on that and trying to push all of our, all of our uh, attention and using our platform to focus in on that. Um, but I would think sometime in the near future we'll start selling some, some merch again,
0: yeah. And that was obviously the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, obviously, the shirt that I bought isn't, I don't think you guys are gonna make a dime off of it. You know, I mean, it's for a really good cause. I bought one of those shirts you guys did. it was the benefit for uh George Floyd and the, and the bail Project. Um, so I think it kind of goes without saying how you feel about the, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, but let's just talk about that for a minute, I guess. Um,
1: well. Terror always, as a band, has been an, an anti-racist band, and I think I, I would say, with you know, a lot of people being cooped up from coronavirus, just seeing what happened to George Floyd was just like the last fucking straw for people to accept what has been going on in in this country, and maybe in this world, and maybe it's been long overdue. And the reaction at first was very extreme, and. Um, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to sit back and listen to people and look. And watching what was going on in L.A., like 10 miles from my house, was extreme. And and I think it opened up a lot of people's eyes to how people have just been put with their back against the wall for so long and just had enough. And, uh, you know, the least we could do as a band that has you know, a decent following and we have a diverse following. I think we have a following that doesn't agree with some of the stuff we have put out there and, you know, like doing all these diverse tours, you, you, you know, play to a lot of different people. You got a lot, a lot of different mindsets, but I don't think now it's okay to just uh, shy away from what you believe. So um, it's very empowering to see, you know, lots and lots and lots of hardcore bands and underground bands and, and people in hip hop, you know, that I don't, that I don't know, but I admire watching them, uh, be vocal and be giving and, and listening and, and, um, doing fundraisers and, you know, to, to make a shirt for us, Martin's a great graphic designer. He made a shirt probably in an hour. We put it up online. Our, our friend, the the original singer of Brook, Bo, printed all the shirts and sent them all out. And we made somewhere around $10,000 to donate. Like that's such a beautiful thing. And when you have bands all over the world doing that, it's raising so much money and so much awareness. And I'm not saying everyone has to agree with me, but I'm saying people have been very vocal and I've noticed a lot of younger people in the scene have been You know, I had gone to two protests in the I live in the San Fernando Valley here, but I've seen people that have just devoted the last month of their life to doing every protest they can. And, you know, I've some of them have been arrested and, you know, just it's very, very inspiring to see. I don't want to say just young people because it's older people, too, but I've seen a lot of the younger people in the hardcore scene that have devoted themselves to giving all they can over the last month or so. And it's 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 really cool to see because this has always been more than music. This has always been about using your head. This has always been about loving everyone in this world equally. This has always been about knowing that the government and people in charge and people with a badge on them are not always looking out for your best interest. And in most 99% of the time they are taking advantage of their power and you got to question everyone and know that everyone in power is taking advantage of that power and it's an ugly dirty world and that's why we've been drawn to the underground and that's why all these people and all these songs and this movement and this scene mean so fucking much and it's being shown right now and I hope people appreciate it as much as I do.
0: Yeah, i don't really think i could have asked for a for a better response to that question um i wrote it down, you know i
1: knew you were gonna ask me so i wrote it out
0: <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i 100 percent back that obviously i mean it's just it's just crazy too because i know it's it's they're they're in the minority but there's like people like within hardcore and like people that i grew up with that like like don't agree with 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 the, the, the black lives matter movement i'm just like that's insane like like just take a step back and think about it you know like like my best friends black like i'm i'm sure you have a lot of black friends like it's just the kind of shit that they've had to put up with with the police and other people over the years it's you know and and the shit we're seeing now it's just it's all that coming to a head basically you know uh, so i think
1: too i mean i think too it's it's also exposing so many other fucked up things in this world it's just so much shit is fucked up and this is just like a domino effect of so many people opening their eyes and seeing how much mistreatment and injustice there are and is in this world it's just fucking crazy and you'll you'll, you'll see videos every day of people just in the face of another person just calling them the worst names to their face like what kind of fucking world is this? It's just, like, what, like, it's just, it's really sad. It's just really fucking sad.
0: Yeah, you know, it's crazy that it's 2020 and this kind of shit's still happening. I mean, you know, part of me thinks, like, we've been safe and insulated, like, with hardcore and punk, and, like, probably 95% or more, like, like-minded thinking people, but at the same time, like you were just saying, like, I think it's our, like, us being around so many people like that, it's kind of, like, our duty to just to... to be a part of this and spread the message that, you know, this this movement needs to happen. And, you know, again, I'm really proud to see like bands like you guys and I mean we could literally like rattle off fans for like an hour, all the bands that have done like like good right now with all these like benefit shirts and just donating money and record labels have been doing it too. Like it's it was just really cool to see like all that all that shit come together so quickly, you know?
1: Yeah. Very, very inspiring. And and uh I don't think it's gonna stop. I know terror has like a a raffle we're going to put up in the next couple days just trying to raise more money like i I went through my garage and found like a huge old banner that's been sitting here and like a test press and a a jacket and we're just going to keep trying to raise money because um this isn't something that's going to be solved quickly and it isn't something that should just be a, a one month um i don't want to say a trend but it's not something that should just be on your mind for a month when it's when it's right on the tip of everyone's tongue this is something that really hopefully is exposed and some real change will come from it.
0: yeah that's 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 definitely uh my hope is that is that this will this will make a lot of positive changes um so i guess related to this uh but kind of switching topics at the same time um like you've you're obviously somebody's been like 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 doing hardcore like like night and day pretty much for a long time like where do you think your life would be without hardcore huh.
1: well a lot of people when they like to joke around <laughs> say that i would have been like a gym teacher because i always tell people how to move their <laughs> sick bodies on the dance floor <laughs> um you know i really don't know um i was uh when i was be- I grew up living with my mom and my two sisters and my brother jay is actually my stepbrother and he uh lived with his mom who remarried my father so uh and my mom moved to Texas. she lived in buffalo um and moved to texas when i was fifth grade or sixth grade so if if i didn't stay in buffalo with my dad and my brother and his uh mom i would have growing up in texas so that's kind of a strange thought i don't know i don't know it's weird because i got i got a couple really good friends that are like texas hardcore kids so my my brain tells me that i would have somehow found them or they would have found me and i would have found the houston texas hardcore scene but i don't know i might be uh chewing tobacco and (laughs) who
0: knows you know you know what's really weird wait 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 i'm I'm, I'm sorry maybe
1: maybe when maybe when willie d left the ghetto boys they would have hit me up (laughs) that's probably what would have
0: happened that would have been sick um what's really weird though is i never knew you you had the texas connection until like I think there was, like, either a documentary or an interview you did, like, years ago. And now, we're, again, we're obviously not the same age. I was born in 81. But, like, like around the exact same time, like, 86, uh, my mom had done some really dumb shit. She went to jail for, like, a year. And we got sent up here. We lived in Houston until, like, I think August 31st, 1986 was the exact date. So it's just kind of weird to me. You know what I mean? Like, you almost ended up living there. And I did live there. And I came here. And I've thought that before, too. Though. Like, what if I stayed down there? Like, what I've ended up... You know listening to the same kind of music and being around the same kind of people you know like it's just it's just crazy like the way that that shit just kind of it's like a small world type thing i guess you know <laughs> huh,
1: i never do that yeah yeah I, I thought about that um you know when when uh, w- you know tara will play in houston once or twice a year so i've been there a lot and um i'm always like man i wonder i wonder very weird
0: yeah um yeah so i guess i just have a couple of questions left here um I'm guessing you've probably pretty much seen every band you'd want to see, but like if if you could put like a dream show together of like four to six bands, like who do you who do you think would be on a show like that? Uh,
1: can I get outside of the hardcore box, or you want me to stay no, in the hardcore box?
0: No, you can put whatever you want on there. Obviously, hip hop, I'm, I'm sure will be on there.
1: <laughs> and does it have to be bands I haven't seen, or I'm just booking this show that's going to make me happy? Exactly. All right, we're Coldplay's headlining. Um. Hot water music's on the show, but God, I hate, like, I'm going to say this, but if someone were to say this to me about terror, I'd be like, shut up. But they can only play like early record stuff. Um, Let's get a hip hop artist on there. Uh, Nah. Oh, okay. The roots, the roots, the roots, hot water music. Coldplay, and I gotta put one core on there. Um, let's do like a Warzone in their their in the, the late 80s because I never saw them then. So, Warzone late 80s. That's yeah,
0: that's, a, that's, a, that's definitely probably one of the most diverse lineups anybody's answered to that <laughs> question so far. Um, and and you know it'd be great to see Warzone play in the late '80s, obviously. And and I I think I've seen The Roots uh actually only once now. When I think about it, but they're obviously a phenomenal live band. Um, I'm, I'm probably not as into Coldplay as you are, I guess. But um, that's that would still be a pretty diverse uh bill. Um, so currently, like, what kind of bands are you listening to? uh in the hardcore realm
1: i really like combust from new york they're great uh rule them all from long island's great dare from out here's great Um, i really like my brother's band um pure heel i think they're great um magnitudes really cool one step closer is really cool uh that i'll I'll just stop there i mean i could keep going that that's like (laughs) younger hardcore bands i really like Lots of classic hardcore stuff. Um, a lot of the youth crew stuff, like Bold and, and Youth to Today. Uh, I listen to tons of, like, Sunday Day Real Estate Lifetime. Um, if anyone doesn't know the Racket Club record, which is um, the guitarist of Sam I Am. It came out a couple years ago. That's probably my favorite record I've heard in a couple years. So I listen to a lot of that stuff. Rival Schools, Always, Everything Walter. Um podcasts more than anything uh the griselda stuff a lot um rock marciano freddie gibbs but his newer stuff i haven't really kept up with but like a couple years ago freddie gibbs was top of my list uh mayhem loren for hip-hop is really good um i listened to a new young buck ep yesterday that kind of let me down but it was kind of cool at the same time um, yeah, that's kind of it. I don't know. There's more, but that that's my first thought.
0: Yeah, that's good. I I, I like Mayhem Loren, and, and I, I like Action Bronson a lot, too. Well, more like his older stuff, but on uh, the Grisel, Griselda movement, obviously, we've talked about more than once. And then with that Dare, I'm sorry, with, with that Dare band, I got the 7-inch like a few weeks ago, but for some reason having a two-year-old around, I can't really uh, play hardcore records on the turntable all that often. He wants to listen to, like, the Muppets and shit like that, so... It's tough.
1: <laughs> I bet. I, I would say for Dare, if you check the record out and don't love it, go see them live. Because uh, I don't want to take anything away from them recorded, but live, they're they're uh, like a really, really good. Can I give you a, a funny Griselda story right now that's going on in my life?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah.
1: So um, in the almighty quarantine and making no money, I was selling some of my records. And I have this... Uh, Westside Gun, Hitler Wears, Hermes 2 record. That's like one out of 100 or 150. Um, I just, I knew about them right away, right when they were at, I don't, pro- probably not right away, but when he started putting stuff out consistently and I mail ordered that record from the UK and I just looked online what it's worth and it's worth like $1,000. So I was like, I've never had a record worth $1,000. So I, hmm. I was like, I'm going to sell this thing. I got in touch with, um, do you know Joint Custody? It's a dude, Gene, that used to play in Desperate Measures. He's got a store in D.C., and he he resells lots of things. I hit him up, and he's like, I'll give you uh, $860 for the record. I was like, great. So on June 4th, I boxed it up and sent it, and it's MIA in the mail. I, I check every day. It just says with the tracking, I didn't get insurance like an idiot. And I put it, uh, another $100 uh, cage record in there, um, Movies for the Blind. So this package is worth like $1,000. And I just sent it to him, like just thinking it would be fine. And I've taken out all these case, like you fill out forms with the post office and the tracking just says, it's moving in our network for over three weeks. And I'm just like, please, where is this package?
0: Holy shit. That's crazy. I, 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 it's, it's not the same thing, but it's similar. I, I had a laptop recently that I bought that I was going to use for this podcast. And for some reason, the one they sent to me, the LCD was broken and I was like so nervous mailing it back to Amazon. So i I'm like, am I going to lose this $700, you know? And you know, it took a few weeks and the money was tied up for like a month and a half, but you know, luckily I did get the money. So hopefully, you know, you'll have a happy ending with your story too.
1: Oh, I hope so. I mean, I've, I've already uh, mentally, come to the conclusion i'm never gonna see it or the money again so if one day i get this text or, or gene hits me up and says he got the record that'll be great but right now i i, I counted it out so we'll see what happens
0: wow that's that that's really crazy <laughs> all right so yeah kind of wrapping things up i guess um do you have anything you'd like to add to the interview or anything like that
1: uh no i think i've been um answered the best I could and came from the heart as most as I could. But um, yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm glad you're doing the podcast and I look forward to seeing what other wonderful guests you have on here.
0: That wraps up episode 16. Thanks to Scott Vogel for doing the interview with me. If you have the opportunity, try to grab some terror merch from either coldcutsmerch.com or merchconnection.com. As always, I want to thank Rob Antonucci for all the help with the podcast, and extra special thanks to my family for your never-ending support. The next few episodes will feature interviews with Patrick Martin, Jim Byrne, as well as a Standfast deep dive with Rory Van Grohl and Brian Vanetten. As always, make sure you check out EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com and give us a follow on Instagram at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast. See everyone real soon, and stay safe.